to the fourth official soccer podcast. My name is Bori Lodemi and I'm joined not by Suleiman, but I'm joined by Justin McCabe. Thanks, Justin, for being here. Uh, but before we start, uh, we're going to give credit to what today is. Today is the 18th of January, which is also the Martin Luther King Day um, in the United States of America. Um, and as uh, I'm just going to, uh, you know, pay tribute to MLK here. Obviously, he is very, uh, as a very... Um, amazing figure for for the African Americans and, and black people, I would say not only in America, but but in the world. Um, uh, and one of his famous quotes uh, was, uh, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And uh, I picked this one because this also applies in the world of football, especially with, you know, all the Black Lives Matter movements, especially last last summer, uh, and, and last year, um, and usually, you know, uh, throughout throughout the years. Um, and, and I think this this uh, quote resonates well with the situation we're in right now, especially in America and also in the world of football. So um, happy MLK Day to everyone. Uh, but let's start on our main topics. Today, we'll be talking some Liverpool versus United. We'll be also be talking about Arsenal uh, because, you know, Justin's on the, on the podcast. And we are excited to talk about the Derby d'Italia, which is the Juventus versus Inter Milan game that was, ve- was a firecracker um, last weekend. And uh, we'll also talk about the uh, Derby della Capitale, which is the Rome Derby, uh, Roma versus Lazio. And I'll be giving my thoughts on that game uh, and finally, uh, I'll be giving the mid-season review of Syria. Ah, uh, 18 games have been played. Uh, technically, there's one more left, but Milan are crowned champions or winter champions of the Syria. Um, but uh, Justin, uh, let's just start out with uh, Liverpool and uh, United. Um, and uh, what a game! It was so intense. Uh, not really. I'm joking, actually, because I thought it was actually a very boring game. Uh, just now, I would like to ask you what your takeaways and your view of the game was. Uh, yeah, agreed. Not the most thrilling of competitions, unfortunately, given the storied history of this rivalry and of this matchup. Um, Liverpool, in recent memory, has been the dominant team, the team in the ascendancy, obviously under Jurgen Klopp. Uh, but they did not look like it to me. Uh, in this recent outing over the weekend. Uh, zero, zero, no goals, uh, not any like particularly uh, any goal threats either, especially from like the Liverpool side. Man, Man United had a few great opportunities in the second half, uh, which, you know, due to some great keeping from Alisson uh, that he was able to keep the clean sheet for Liverpool. But um, I would describe my experience of watching this match as... Frustrating, first and foremost. Uh, Liverpool had a lot of great build-up play. And then when they got into the final third, it's just like there was that final ball, that killer ball that, again, speaking in recent memory in the past couple of seasons that Klopp's Liverpool has been known for, you know, just like whipping crosses in, uh, threading ball, through balls into Salah or Mane, uh, Firmino holding a plate and laying it off. Like none of that was coming off. We, we, there was that final ball just like wasn't there and it just kept on happening again and again and again. I think Liverpool dominated possession, if I'm not correct. I think they, they had a lot of possession, but that final ball just wasn't there. So like I said, frustrating to watch as a, as a neutral. 
Yeah, so I actually have their, the stats pulled up right here, actually. Um, and, and yes, you're right. Liverpool had most of the possession, but as we all know, possession doesn't win the game. 66% to 34%. Um, what stood out to me is the number of shots that Liverpool had. Uh, they had 17 shots against uh, Manchester, who had just eight shots. And, and three of those 17 shots for Liverpool were on target and four were on target for Manchester United. Now, my question to you, given the stats, I, it doesn't really tell us much as, as to who should have won or, or, or you know, who, who won the game. But do you think Liverpool should have won this game? I mean, given the number of shots and, and number of time they had on the ball. Uh, you're right, yeah. Uh, like you said, possession doesn't win games, though. Usually it's a pretty good indicator of who's dominating the match. Um, I'm going to say, though, like from my point of view, it if either of these teams was going to win the match this weekend, it was going to be Manchester United. Uh, they had, I think, the two best chances of the game between uh, Fernandez in the second half and, again, uh, Pogba, Wan-Bissaka, cross in. Um, and, again, like, Alisson had great stops on both of those. Uh, so those two great chances, I think, I, I would have to give it to Manchester United as being most worthy of winning the game. Uh, although neither side was able to put away anything so um but, but what are your thoughts how did you interpret the, the zero zero result and who deserved to win yeah i mean i i, I figured uh manchester united would probably going to sit back and, and try to hit them on the counter because they know that they're you know robertson and alexander arnold you know usually go up the flanks and, and they could you know basically uh, uh exploit those spaces uh behind those defenders but uh it seemed like it didn't work out that way and um honestly i, I was actually shocked that there were no goals i think that was more, more of the surprising thing for me even without looking at the stats i thought you know like maybe for sure um you know there were like a ton of shots you know in this game um I, but the thing i don't understand is what is exactly happening with liverpool right now i mean you have Firmino, uh, Mane, and uh, playing, uh, I think, you know, most of the game, uh, you know, the, the, the game and this, you know, they had 17 shots, but only three on target, which is really, really weird. Um, what exactly do you think may be going on at Liverpool in terms of, you know, is, is there a department that really needs help? Maybe is, is Salah, Mane and, and Firmino, are they, are they short on confidence? Like, what, what do you think from your point of view? What do you think is going on? I think last time we spoke, uh, the last episode recorded, um, and then I know for sure in many of our conversations offline, uh, we always talk about how Klopp really favors playing the same lineup and has favored this particular lineup, uh, you know, with some exceptions, Thiago, for instance, coming in this year. But uh, otherwise, especially when we talk about the front three, he, he has his guys and he likes to go with them week in and week out uh, across competitions in some cases. And I think, you know, we talked about how difficult 2020 was, um, not, just, not just for Liverpool, for everybody, but like in terms of the volume of games and uh, the schedule, especially after Project Restart, um, going deep into different tournaments, going deep into Champions League. Uh, over the past two years, I think there might just be a fatigue problem going on here, both uh, mental, stylistically, and then obviously physically for a lot of these players. Yeah, I agree. And I feel the same way. I mean, I'm actually surprised that they've gone on this far, this, you know, 
they've gone this far um, over what four years now or maybe three years where they've been playing basically the same lineup, which is you know a four through three, uh, and with Firmino, Mane, and Salah in front. Um, but hey, they've won trophies. I'm not going to put them down for it. I just think that um, this year may just not be their year, and uh, it's it's looking scary for them right now especially with other teams catching up to them. Um, but let's shift focus and let's not talk and lambast Liverpool. Uh, there was the other team that should probably should have won this game, uh, uh, you know, from your point of view. Um, but, you know, we've seen Manchester United not lose so many games in, in the last, what, 10 games or so. Um, what are your thoughts about them? And, and wh- where do you think they're going? And, and what's going on with Manchester United? So Manchester United is, I think... An interesting team. Um, obviously, as an Arsenal fan, I, I always am loath to give praise, but I, I have to give praise because I can't uh, deny what my eyes are telling me when I see them on the field. Sometimes uh, they have their ups and downs. They're not the most exciting team to watch oftentimes, I feel. But what I see when I look at them statistically, um, particularly very interesting in the calendar year of 2020, Manchester United kind of rank up there, right up, right up there with Manchester City and with Liverpool, statistically speaking. They are third in points earned in calendar year 2020, third in goals scored, um, I think third in matches won. They are like right behind the two heavy hitters. Um, so that kind of leads me to believe, and I think there's some statistic I saw during the game yesterday about like they haven't lost an away match in the Premier League since, you know, early in 2020, I think it was. Sometime before Project Restart, I think, before everything shut down for COVID. Um, so I think Manchester United are <laughs> actually sneaky good and uh, are making a very good case for being in contention for, you know, top four finish, obviously. And then, you know, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but maybe more. Well, I, I was going to actually ask you what you're uh, given what you know now. And, and I think we're basically at halfway point in the EPL, uh, what your top four were. But before we do that, let's uh, I want to quickly talk about Arsenal because I can't not talk about Arsenal. Well, not, not because you're a fan of Arsenal, but just because I, I believe last time we talked about Arsenal, they were woeful and, and they were horrible, uh, to be to be quite frank. Um, but it seems like things are changing. I mean, you know, I think they won today against Newcastle. Um, I don't know how they did the last game, but I, I think they either tied. But but the last few games have been tremendous and they've been great. Um, what are your thoughts? on? on I, I, I want to understand what's changed in Arsenal since we last talked and, and who's responsible for for the, the wins you've been having? Because I don't think Aubameyang has been doing well. I know he scored, I think, two goals today. But but what's what's the catalyst for Arsenal and, and what's been responsible for what's going on with Arsenal lately? I'm glad you asked this question. This is this is a going to be a two-hour episode, right? I, I, can, I can talk about Arsenal for the next 45 minutes, or give or take. Uh, no, no, <laughs> no. We definitely don't want this to be, become the Arsenal Arsenal Fan TV uh, podcast. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, I'll keep it brief. I think what's changed with them is the injection of some exciting youth, um, and I think Arteta, you know, they're there's a little bit of a reactionary, you know, with how bad Arsenal was doing early this year. Uh, I mean, pretty much the entirety of the 2020-2021 season up until uh, the past couple of weeks, you know, Arteta out campaigns. But I think the board, you know, 
stayed firm, let him find his feet, and he's find, found his players um, in the youth setup, especially players like Kai Osaka. And really, like, most shocking and, like, very impressively, um, Emil Smith-Rowe, ESR. He has come in and he's like, we you know, uh, famously, Arsenal doesn't have any number 10 players. Um, Ozo, you know, probably worth mentioning very briefly on his way out, but he's been, you know, not been even in the, in the running for being in the squad for a long time now. And ESR, Emil Smith-Rowe has come in and, like, really injected a lot of life into the midfield of Arsenal. And that's been, uh, I think, huge. Uh, likewise has been Kieran Tierney, who is like, I feel like, you know, you can't play, you, you can't pick a lineup without him at this point. He's so integral to the way uh, Arteta has Arsenal playing. Yeah, I, and, and kudos to, to him. I mean, we have to give him the credit too. And I, I think you're right. It's, you know, Saka, especially standards for me on Arsenal, um, he's been tremendous. Not playing uh, right wing instead of right back or right wing, right wing back, um, which I think was uh, was an odd position for him. But before we move on to to uh, the Syria, I want to just get your view of what you think will happen with top four. And it looks very congested there. I think they're like between the top seven. There, you know, it's like five points between them. Um, so. Your thoughts on uh, what the top four is as it changed for you since your initial prediction and, and what do you think will happen, especially with uh, Liverpool and Manchester United? Um, I know this is an opinion podcast, so I, got, I have to give an opinion, but it's very, very difficult for me because I feel like it's, it's so easy with how wide open this campaign has been thus far um, and the impacts of COVID and you know match buildup and things like that. It's anything can happen. So I feel like you can make a prediction and seem like a genius at the end of the year or uh, <laughs> seem like you don't know what you're talking about because anything could happen. You know, we talk about five points between the top four. There's Arsenal, as bad as they've been doing, they are remarkably 10 points out from Manchester United in first place right now. Um, so it is very tightly packed in the upper half of the table. If I was to make a guess, though, I, I think you have to favor City uh, in my mind, they seem to be just steady. Uh, Pep has them firing week in and week out. In most cases, they don't seem to be affected by the same fatigue issues that Liverpool seem to be undergoing right now. Um, we know Pep famously like likes to rotate his squad, and that seems to be a blessing this year. So I would say City first, and then the rest of my top four would probably be filled out in some order by uh, United, Liverpool, and... Spurs. <laughs> oh my God, he said the yes. S word. I know. I know. Wow, that's but, bold uh, of you. If I was to guess today, that, that's how I see it uh, finishing. Uh, I don't know what in what order following City at number one, um, but that, those would be my next three, I think. Wow. Um, what about you, though? When that, when you look at this table, what what do you see as at the end of the year? First of all, I, I would like to to uh, say I can I can be at your burial when all the Arsenal fans come at you and and, and basically <laughs> kill you for saying what you said. I know. Putting Spurs uh, in the top four, but uh, you're right. I mean, I, I hope I said this on the podcast, but I mean, I, I've always said that that I think Manchester City are going to win the um, the the Premier League this this season. I mean, obviously, it's still. You know, it was still far away. We're halfway. Um, and so I don't know for sure, but I, I think they are set up pretty nicely, especially because their defense is now taking 
some shape. I think they've kept a few clean sheets. So I think I, I'm with you there when, when you say Manchester, Manchester City is going to win this, I believe. Um, if not Manchester City, it will be Manchester United, I believe, because I think I think the EPL is definitely going to, to Manchester this year. Um, Liverpool... I don't think we'll be second, or or I think I think the two Manchester's will be first and second. Um, I don't think Liverpool will be third, just because again I think they're stretched very thin, and I, and I don't hear too many transfer rumors, you know, with Liverpool this January, which is odd to me because they still have the Champions League to play, and I believe they're still in the FA Cup, um, if I'm not wrong. But I don't know how that's going to happen. I think I think they may drop to the fourth position. As for who's going to be third, I honestly don't know. I think it could be Spurs, but also uh, Mourinho could, uh, you know, shoot himself in the foot and and, and lose it. Um, but but let's just say it could be anybody in the third position, um, even Leicester, actually. I'm not going to discount Leicester City. I think they don't have any distractions this year. Uh, I think they could be third. But I think Liverpool are just going to barely make it, personally, um, because they, I don't know. They're, they're short of confidence now. And and they may they may not make it um, to the to, to the EPL crown. We'll see. Yeah, and you're right. Liverpool. We talk about how Klopp likes to favor his his guys and how they compete. They go deep in multiple competitions. Uh, they do. They are still in the FA Cup. You're right. And their next uh, in the fourth round, their opponent is Manchester United, and that's at the end of this month. That's actually uh, next week. So Ooh. we'll get we'll get to the hopefully a more exciting rematch in the FA Cup. Enough about the EPL. I know you're itching to get to some Serie A action. So let's talk about the two huge games this weekend, uh, the, the two derbies. Um, and lead, let's lead off with uh, Juventus versus Inter. Um, and I'd like to hear uh, from your standpoint, your analysis of the significance of this match. Yes, this match was very significant because this basically separates the winners from, I would say, the not so huge winners uh, because um this basically put the gap between the Milan teams and basically the rest of the of the of the league, uh, especially Juventus. This means that the both Milans can now fight each other, and it's not. It doesn't seem like it's going to be between Juventus and Inter Milan or Juventus and Milan. It seems like this year it's going to change hands, and it's going to be between the two Milan teams. And that was the significance of this game. Those are some great points. Yeah, looking at the table. You know, you have uh, your guys, you have Milan sitting first at 43 points, Inter at 40 points, and then the rest of the pack, really, six points behind at the halfway point of the season. So that's a great point. Um, talking about tactically, about how this game was played, uh, I think maybe we're in agreement. Inter seemed to be the dominant side. When you watch Juventus this season, they don't look threatening, okay? You can see, you can you can tell that there's a problem in the midfield, especially um, because it seems like when you overload the midfield against Juventus, people are able to control the game against them. Um, obviously, their striking force is, I think, one of the best in the league because they have Dybala, they have Chiesa, they have uh, Juventus. And off the bench, they have uh, Benedeschi and they have uh, Kulusevski that can come in as uh, as um, replacements for the forward. So so their, the forward department is great. The defense is not so hot. Uh, Delit was out for a while, so so they suffered there. He was also out in this in the Derby d'Italia, so that that really uh, uh, hurt them, I, I believe. But that doesn't mean anything to me because if you saw the way Juve, uh, Inter Milan played against Juve, Inter played like they wanted it more. And even though Juve did want it because they wanted to 
assert their dominance in Syria are. They couldn't because they didn't have the the lungs that Inter Milan had. And, and that's the problem. And that's what people are failing to see that Juve, yes, they look like they're winning. They, they beat Milan. They beat teams that they should be beating. But they are not organized well. And I think a lot of it has come down to Pirlo. And, and I know we understand that Pirlo didn't have any... He just literally got his coaching license a few days before he was, was made coach of Juve. So people... So I guess people, it's an easy target. People may say I'm, I'm targeting something that's very obvious and easy. But if you really think about it, the decisions he's making, um, to me, does not make, you know, it, it's hurting the team. <clears throat> For example, we see that McKinney is a player that is replacing Matuidi, really, because Matuidi used to fill the gap that Ronaldo, you know, left because Ronaldo doesn't defend. He doesn't. I mean, he defended in this game, but Ronaldo doesn't really defend. He's supposed to be a striking force, and and Matuidi is supposed to be playing his defensive role and Ronaldo's defensive role. But and that's what McKinney was bought for, and for some reason he didn't play him in this game. I don't understand the the point of that. You know that Inter Milan are very good in the, in the midfield because they play five midfielders. Um, so I I, th- I think I think. Juve, Juve are shooting themselves in the foot, especially with Pirlo, and I don't see how they're going to do well uh, uh, this season with Pirlo as as coach. That's yeah, that's a lot to digest, uh, and you actually covered a few points that I wanted to get to. So I, let, I'm wondering if we can go a little bit more in depth by uh, going kind of through the TikTok of this match that happened this weekend. Um, kind of right off the bat, I want to cover like some some kind of historical context. Uh, Antonio Conte, obviously a manager of Inter. Um, he was also the manager of the Invincible, uh, unbeaten 2011-2012 Juventus side. He had a great amount of success at Juventus, kind of oversaw their, um, their revitalization um, in the early 2010s. Um, and one of the key players of that side was, of course, Andrea Pirlo, now manager of Juventus. Um, I see Conte as the one who popularized the 3-5-2 formation. Uh, he's was very highly effective with that formation at Juventus. He plays it still to this day now with Inter. And I find it interesting that on paper, at least, Pirlo favors the same formation, as you alluded to. You know, he likes five in the midfield. He plays a 3-5-2, two strikers, uh, Ronaldo uh, and Murata. Um, there's obviously a difference in outcomes here, though. And there's a lot, kind of a difference in, like, uh, stylistically how these formations play, even though they, they are the same, 3-5-2 on both sides. So I'm kind of wondering what's your assessment of how does Juventus play in this formation? Why is it not effective, uh, given that Pirlo is so familiar with it, having played it under Conte? I think it's, it comes to experience. I mean, uh, I think he's not having the, the right plays in the right place. I, I think that's really where it is. Um, um, I, again, I still go back to what I said previously. I, I think I think. McKenney, I, I know I'm really not a huge fan of McKenney until I saw him at Juve because I didn't really see him at Schalke. But he, he, I think McKenney should be driving force. He should be the replacement of Matsuidi in this team. And we can, you can see that he has the lungs for it. Um, so that, that is why it's not effective for, for Juve. I think he's just putting the wrong place at the, at the, at the wrong place. Um, he's also fielding Fabrota, which I guess you could say he, he's an okay defender. Uh, and I know Juve were short on defenders, but I still think that somebody like Demiral should have played that game and should have played in, in the defense uh, and not Chiellini, because as you can, as you could tell, Chiellini was also old. So the problem with Prelo is 
it's the inexperience. And I know, again, it's an easy target, but it's, it's an easy target that it's obvious. Like, the, the it's so obvious that he should not be feeling certain players, but especially against a team like Inter Milan, and he went on uh, to do so. Okay, great points. Um, if, let's go, like, if, as I as we work through, kind of like I, like I said, the TikTok of this game, um, pre-match, uh, we obviously had um, Kissgate, or as I preferred, uh, Badgazi, which was, I'm referring to Arturo Vidal, now yep. of Inter, formerly of Juventus. Uh, while he was greeting Chiellini in the warm-up, um, he, for some reason, leaned in and kissed Chiellini right, uh, right on the chest, on. right on the Juventus edge. I know people are making fun of this, but I think Arturo is not as tall. Well, he's not as tall as uh, as, as Chiellini, so... <laughs> <laughs> and in, in, in Italy, you kiss people to greet them. So he he, he didn't want to have him stoop low, so low. So he had to kiss the crest. No, I'm kidding. I mean, yeah, that was a very funny moment. I saw I saw on Twitter and people were, were making a, a, a total joke of it. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's, I think, mostly lighthearted jokes. Uh, some people, I was getting, like, offended. I think offended. Uh, um, Inter fans maybe getting a little worked up. But uh, Vidal put that all to rest because... He, of course, uh, in the 12th minute, put away the first goal of the game uh, with a great cross from Barea, um, and he beats Danilo to the ball. Uh, thoughts on the goal? I mean, uh, classic move. I'm trying to just replay the, the goal in my head. All I can remember is Barella just crossing the ball. Uh, and actually, if you really, if you watch the highlights, you see that Vidal actually gave Barella the ball, and Barella then took it and then crossed it, and, and, and Vidal leaped. And, and you know what's funny? I think uh, there was a stat that said like Vidal hasn't scored in in um, in Syria since 2015. Obviously, because right. he was playing for Bayern Munich and and Barcelona. But in Barcelona, he was scoring like crazy. Um, I can't remember his record in, in Bayern, but I'm just surprised that he's just now scoring in in um, in Syria after what 18 games this season. Um, so, but but good for him. Uh, uh, you know, Barilla, very very important for that side. Yeah, it was a great ball from Barella, but um, let's fast forward to the second goal. And speaking of great balls in, uh, how about that pass to unlock the second goal from Abastoni? My, my question to you, I'm going to spin back the question to you. Was that a genuine pass or was that a fluke? Uh, <laughs> I had the same thought. I haven't seen a lot of analysis about this. So Bastoni, you can see, he, he kind of falls down while he's hitting the ball. If I was to give my honest assessment, I think he's trying to just, you know, boot the ball, get the ball up. There's, you know, they, they, the entire game, there's like huge gaps in the lines. And we can talk about that for, for Juventus between their midfield and their defensive lines. So I think he's just booting the ball up, maybe like towards Lukaku, just like, you know, up, up field. And he slips, falls, and just happens to hit it so sweetly, <laughs> thread it right between uh, Juventus's defense. And um, yeah, that was a perfect pass. And that, that was that was ball into Barella, correct? Yes, that was to Barella. Yes, I, I think. I mean, I'm the. Here's the thing. I'm struggling with trying to give Inter Milan credit here versus telling the truth. But I, I would say this. I mean, yes, it looks like a sweet ball. I I think I also agree with you. I don't think it was intentional in the sense that he was trying to actually give that through pass to Barella. Um, so. I think he was just trying to just put the ball so that, uh, that Lukaku can just, you know, hold the ball and pass it on to whoever is running ahead of him. Um, but apart, like, let's not take credit away from, from Bastoni. 
it was a great pass. And at the end, it was also a great goal yeah. by Barella. True, true. It was a great finish. Uh, great, you know, no matter how it happened, it was, it was a beautiful pass in. Um, and then, yeah, you're, you're right. Uh, Barella put it away beautifully as well. Um, so I think, like you said, uh, you, you kind of already have given a preview of your thoughts about Pirlo. Um, we've mentioned, you know, this formation is not working. The personnel that he's putting in, uh, leaving McKenny out, this is a mistake in your view. Uh, I mentioned we watched this game, and even though they're playing the same formation, there's a difference in results, a difference in organization in terms of like communication. Um, I, I, like I said, I had to go back. I could not help but notice like the space between the lines for Juventus, uh, which Inter exploited a couple of times. So, um, if in your opinion, a lot of this comes down to Pirlo, how much pressure do you see on him, uh, and how short of a leash do you think he's working with now? at this point where, you know, it's a serious risk of Juventus not getting any silverware this year, possibly first time in a long time. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's a possibility this season where they don't get any trophy this season, but um, the, I don't know, to be honest, I don't know what's going on because if you really like, I, I believe they're still playing Saturday's salary. I believe um, I think they're short on money. They pay. Um, I think Ronaldo earns like 35 million. Uh, every year so they are short on cash so I don't think they can really afford a coach you know like a, a coach that they will have to basically sign a, a long-term contract with or or maybe a two-year contract with and and you know like I don't think they can afford it and that's why I think they went with parallel in the beginning um, but that said it, I think if it's come to a point where they're slipping down the, the table obviously they will have to get rid of him and, and probably bring um, you know Allegri or, or somebody more experienced back um, because they have to qualify for the Champions League. I don't see a situation where they won't qualify for the Champions League, even if Perlo is there, but you just never know because things could go really bad. And I think the other catalyst could be also the Champions League coming up uh, February 16th, I think is the first time uh, it's coming back. Um, if they get out of that, you know, uh, of the round of 16, then I, I think that could also be another catalyst. But I think in terms of pressure, I think Perlo is fine and okay. Um, but hey, we have the Super Copa coming up. Uh, between Juve and uh, and Napoli, everything could get wiped if he wins that trophy. Uh, but that would be a good thing for Serie A fans that are not Juve fans because it means that a not-so-good coach will end up still be in charge of Juve. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Uh, if you're um, not a neutral. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? If you have a vested yeah. interest, that's a good point. Yes. Um, you're right. Yep. Juventus played next in Champions League. They have Porto. Uh, you got to think that they are favored there. Um, so we'll see. And uh, Supercopa, maybe maybe Pirlo can turn it around. Um, but I think uh, we should move on to the other derby this weekend, um, the Derby della Capital between Roma and Lazio. Um, and I'd like to know your thoughts on the significance of this match. Yes. So it's going to be short and quick and, and easy. Um, the, the significance of this game is because Roma were, are also seen as a an underdog for the Scudetto, the, the Serie A championship, um, because people really think, like you said, Manchester United are the low-key, like they're low-key winning and doing all these amazing things. Roma were really low-key winning games and, and, and putting all, all this work in shift, even with uh, a star man, Zaniolo, out. Um, so uh, 
the reason why this is significant is because this pushes Roma out of the, the running. Uh, and like you said, I think you said there are six points between um, us and, and Roma. Uh, so that kind of gives us time to be able to, to, you know, maybe slack off a little bit and still be ahead of Roma. So that's why this is very important. Um, but also the Rome Derby has gone as far back as, you know, before probably our parents and grandparents were born. Um, so obviously this is always a, a is one of the biggest derby in, in, in the Syria in Italy, um, and it was very amazing to see that Lazio won it. Uh, even though Lazio has not done very well this season, um, and for me, the standout player was Lazzari. It's some a player that people don't really talk much about, but his speed and pace was the one that caused a lot of mistakes that Roma made that led to a lot of the goals that they conceded. But shout out to shout out to them. I'm not going to you know make it seem like they they won by mistake, but um, uh, they put in the shift and they won. And that was it. Was a it was a to me that was a very interesting game to watch. All right. Uh, we should probably make mention of the other team that's in the current top four of Syria at the midpoint, which is Napoli, and they ran riots over Fiorentina six nothing on Saturday. Um, your thoughts on this game, and uh, in particular, your thoughts on Insignia, uh, who is have, playing a hell having a hell of a season and played one great game. Yeah, I mean Napoli really did them a bad favor. I mean, come on, that, that was a rat and, and should not have happened, honestly, uh, because, honest, you know, after, after the fourth goal, even, or, or the third goal, they should have just played, you know, just defense, right? Um, so I was really surprised that they were still kind of open. Um, but Fiorentina, let's not, let's not pounce on Fiorentina too much. They're going through a lot of problems right now. Uh, they just switched coach uh, to, from Iacchini to Prandelli. Um, and, uh, you know, they're just having a bad time. Um, but yeah, it, you know, Napoli, they're hot and cold. Uh, I, I don't think this six zero means anything to be, if I'm being honest with you, but, um, obviously it's very impressive. Uh, uh, and it's impressive win that they, they put through, but they are hot and cold, which means that like today they could win and tomorrow they could lose to, to like Spezia or, or some other random team, which I, I believe they did lose to Spezia. My thoughts on Insigne, same thing here, same thing. Insigne is hot and cold, but Nonetheless, I'm not, again, not trying to batter and, and bash him, but he's a great player. He's an awesome player. He's just not as consistent as I would love for him to be. I mean, personally, I think he's part of the reasons why Napoli has not won the Scudetto, just because there's sometimes that you expect him to show up and he doesn't show up. Uh, and that's the problem with Insigne. But there are games where he does show up and he kills the game. Um, and he did in this last game. And, and what a, a player is, especially when he's very consistent and in form. Um, so, yeah. I think Napoli did very well. Um, Fiorentina, they need to to go back to the drawing board and do do some work and, and training. All right. Um, I think we're good on the the matches for for this weekend. Though to close out, and as we transition into talking about uh, your midseason review of Syria, I'm wondering, as a diehard Milan fan, um, which of these sides that we just talked about: uh, Inter, Napoli, uh, Roma, Juventus. Uh, which of them scares you most? It, it sounds to me like it, it's Inter, um, but I'd like to know what, what, which of these teams, which ones do you see as the biggest threat going yeah. into this? That's a very good question. It's a very tough question for me to answer only because I see it as one and a half teams that are a threat. I actually don't really consider Inter Milan as a threat. And here's my reason why, okay? You take Lukaku out of this team, you take Barella out of this team, this team is done. They are done. I mean, what all it takes for them to be just out for a few games and that team cannot find a source of goal. I can prove this by when 
when Fiorentina played Inter Milan in the Coppa Italia uh, on Wednesday, where they basically had to depend on Lukaku to score a last-minute winner to win the round against Fiorentina. Um, and it just shows you that they are very dependent on Lukaku to win. So if something bad happens to Lukaku, maybe he gets an injury or, or uh, you know, some muscle injury or maybe he gets COVID, then suddenly, like, I don't know where they're going to find the goals. Alexis Sanchez is not doing so well in terms of goals. Um, um, Lautaro Martinez scores sometimes, but he's very inconsistent. So that is the problem with Inter Milan. And that's why I'm not really worried about them because this is a congested season. Uh, I'll be there out of the Europe, you know, the Europa League and the Champions League. But I still think injuries could still happen during the regular season. Now, the team I'm really worried about is Atalanta. And the reason why, again, I'll give my main reason why I'm worried about them. I know a lot of people are not really considering them as a threat, but this team has sidelined Papo Gomez, who's, who is their best player, and the reason why they've been going to Champions League leagues. Uh, they, they, there's been a fight between Gasparini with the coach and, and Papo Gomez. So this, for, even with that, they're still winning and they're still beating teams with high margins. So it's hard for me to not be scared of them because they are a team that if you don't, if you're not careful, they could beat you 6-0, even if you're Juventus, even if you're Inter Milan, if you're AC Milan, they could beat you 6-0. And that's the team I'm really worried about. And we actually play them next and we have a lot of players out. So I'm hoping that we just play defense <laughs> and just get a 0-0 or a 1-1 and get out of there. Um, but Inter Atalanta is the team I'm more worried about in the Serie A. Wow. Uh, wasn't expecting that. I know you're a big fan of Atalanta, uh, but uh, yeah, that's a great call out. I think the common theme here, no matter which league you're looking at, you know, we mentioned about Man City uh, and like you just called out about, um, about Atalanta is the key deciding factor in this season is going to be depth, squad depth. And uh, you're, that's a great shout out also, I think. Um, I didn't realize that about that um, Coppa Italia match. But yeah, they needed that second half substitution uh, Inter did in order to pull out the win in that one. So yeah, squad depth is going to be a major, major factor in this year. All right, let's do a quick mid-season review of Serie A at the halfway point. I'm going to pose some questions to you rapid fire and uh, loving to hear your answer. For you, who's the, rapid, who's the standout team so far in Serie A? It has to be Milan, AC Milan. Who's the most disappointing team? Fiorentina. All right. Much like the EPL, I want to know your thoughts on who the top four is, given what we know now. I think it will be AC Milan, Inter Milan, Napoli, and Juventus. All right. And then at the other end of the table, who's most likely to be relegated this season? I think definitely Torino. All right. Um, last question. Who's your standout player of the season? Uh, Barilla. All right. And one final one. Is he, does he stay or does he go Pirlo? Are you saying, do I want him to stay? Or are you saying, like, are, are they going <laughs> no, to fire him? By the I know I know your thoughts. You've already expressed that you you would love for him to stay. <laughs> as long as they keep on going as they are. For, uh, for Juventus, but what do you think the board will do? Will, will they keep him uh, given their financial situation or is, is it going to get so bad for them that he's going to have to go? I think he will go. Oh, okay. 
uh, yeah, it's unknowable at this point. That's a bold prediction, but I put you on the spot and um, yeah, I, I can see it too. By the way, this was awesome. I think we should do more of these <laughs> in the future. Just FYI, I should do, I should do mine to you too. Um, do, you, do you want me to do for the same questions for you no, or no? Okay, okay. I, I can do, you. yeah, I can do EPL for you in the future, like, like yeah, next maybe time we record. A, uh, like maybe we can make that a recurring thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Not just about like just overall season, but just like uh, yep. pick a topic I, and I see do some rapid fire. I see what you're saying. Yep, that's it. that was a good one. I liked it. Okay. Um, all right. Let me. I can take it over from here and just talk about the rest and just like highlights of things. Um, sure. Yeah. So and just to talk about the, I think this Madrid versus Sevilla game. I, I removed that stuff. Like I. Oh, you removed. Okay. It. I was just gonna say it in passing that like Madrid. Oh wait. Okay, never mind. All right, let's just talk about Messi then. Never mind. Let's talk about Messi, right? Um, I or, mean, or, I, 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 guess we, I guess we have to. I mean, this is Messi's first yeah. red card since when? Um, yeah. Let's get the actual date. When's the last time Messi got a red card? I don't think he's ever right. Or At, I, I think for Barcelona, for Barcelona, for Barcelona. I, don't, I we can actually check. Um, if you check, uh, Messi yeah, first ever red card for Barcelona. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let me, yeah, I can just tee you up with this and get your thoughts. I mean, again, it's going to be quick. Um, yeah. All right, Justin, thank you so much for the rapid fire questions about Syria. That, that was really fun. But let's quickly take a delve into what happened this week. I think, or this last weekend, I think the, the world ended or the football world ended when Messi finally got a red card. Uh, for doing something to a player. I don't know exactly if that's something we can call it, but um, what do you think? First red card uh, for Barcelona, um, is this a uh, is this the end for him? Um, I think we, it's, I don't know if it, it's not the end yet, uh, if we're talking about, um, is he going to leave this this winter, this uh, January well, transfer period? Well, I would think that, that was the, this is the last straw. Like, you know, he got a red card, he's done, he doesn't care anymore. I, I mean, <laughs> I think that part is, is probably correct. I, there's something going on and has been going on now for the better part of a, a full calendar year as far as Messi is concerned. He's, he's obviously fed up with the situation at Barcelona. Um, this is his first ever red card for Barcelona. And um, it was clearly just like, you know, uh, just frustration. If you watch if you watch the replay, I haven't seen any like good, like close-up replays of what he did, but it looks like he kind of just like, did like a swim move, like I, would be, um, I can't remember which player it was, but kind of just like hit him from behind. Uh, it's just straight up frustration. Um, obviously Barcelona lost this game, the Supercopa de España final. Um, this season, even though they sit in third in La Liga, it, it's not vintage Barcelona, not by a long shot. And I don't think Messi sees uh, the future of the club as being very bright. Um, so I, I, I don't know, I think maybe this is the end in terms of him, um, his devotion to the club, uh, unfortunately. But we'll see. It's going to be a very interesting summer transfer period. But like I said, I don't expect him to leave before the end of January. Uh, what do you think, though? Well, first of all, I was going to remind you, remember the time when we said we were, it would be nice to go see Messi play uh, before he, he leaves Barcelona. And now because of COVID-19, we can't go see him yeah. play. And if he leaves, our plan is basically in the gutter. Um, so, yeah, I mean. That's a great point. 
Yeah, it, it's really sad, but I think it's a 50 50. I, I really can't tell. Um, a part of me thinks he's going to stay, but a part of me also thinks he's going to be like, I'm done with this nonsense. And I think a lot of it we'll, we'll see when the uh, presidency or the election for the Barcelona president is, is done. I think if he doesn't like the president, I think that will be the catalyst for him to leave. So we'll, it will be nice to see what happens. Um, but I'm excited to see him uh, in AC Milan. Right, you beat me too. Just, I was about to say. Just kidding. Just we, 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 won't, we won't get to see him in Barcelona, unfortunately, like we, we talked about. But uh, you took the words right out of my mouth, except it was going to be uh, in London. And it will be in London. We can go see him at the Emirates um, when he shoots against him, unfortunately, oh. and rips. Scores uh, oh, a hat trick on his debut. Right, right. All right. As we wrap up, Bori, what is your random fact of the episode? Yeah, I think a few people have probably seen this uh, uh, online already, but uh, it's it's regarding the Maldini dynasty. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, we have three generations of players playing for the same club, uh, AC Milan, um, and they've reached, uh, three of them have reached uh, a thousand Milan games, which, I mean, if you really think, if you really, really think about it, um, that's a lot of games for, for three different Maldinis to play um, all together. Uh, but Cesare... Maldini, who's the father of Paolo Maldini, who's the best left back ever that we've seen in this game. Um, and now Maldini's son, uh, Paolo Maldini's son, uh, Daniel Maldini, who's 19, uh, came in against Juventus and that marked the thousand Milan games for the Maldini family. Uh, I mean, just tremendous stuff. And honestly, I think Milan should probably be named, uh, renamed uh, Maldini FC. So uh, that is the random fact of the episode. But that's all we have today. Thank you so much, Justin, for stepping in again for Suleiman and talking about Arsenal and how great they are. And thank you to our listeners for listening to the fourth official soccer podcast. As usual, you can find us on Twitter and also we'll be on all podcast platforms like Spotify, iTunes, and Android podcast. Uh, Thank you so much. And uh, we hope to talk to you soon.